welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. Welcome to one of our movie episodes about Interstellar, a movie from 2014 that I think had a lot of hubbub around it at the time and nobody's really talked about since. I mean, yeah, it made like four times its budget in the box office. It's pretty good, right? Um, also, just a quick aside, the movie episodes that happen, um, because we, ran, we just don't have time. I just want to. I just want to be well, honest I mean, about that. Yeah. In case you suspected, <laughs> we just be really busy. So. Uh, slash mostly we did like a twenty-four hour long book for our last episode for our bonus episode. So that also has to do with it. But we figure you guys will probably appreciate the little break too. So you need time to read your own books. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But Peter, had you seen this movie before? I had. I saw it um, back when it came out in theaters. Um, Ooh, that must have been an intense experience. Okay, you know what? Story time. Ready? Okay. Let's go. <laughs> so, I had seen it. I saw it with two of my friends, and I sat down with with them. We go. We get ready for the movie, and one of my friends, we'll call her um, just you know, create just any name. We'll call her Mackenzie, <laughs> and <laughs> she uh, she looks at me, looks at Liam. Uh, then kind of glances down at her food, which is pizza. Now, we both know that Mackenzie has a medical condition, uh, which makes eating any greasy foods very, very bad for her. Um, <laughs> I mean, not dying bad, bad but very un- uncomfortable bad. Okay. <laughs> and she has medication to mitigate it, but she did not bring it. Naturally, she still wanted pizza, so she got her pizza. <laughs> Leo and I, the, the other friend, totally name out of the blue, uh, we're sitting there, and, and she's like, I'm going to run and meet my mom. She pulled up with my medicine so I can uh, not deal with the horrible repercussions of this pizza, <laughs> as we all do. And so she goes and comes back and finds Liam and I weeping. Weeping? Weeping. You see, Cooper and <laughs> Amelia had just gotten back from the first planet. Oh, God. And she did not notice. <laughs> I cried so hard. And she comes up and finds Liam and I both elbows on our knees, crying into our hands. Oh, so this was at home. No, no, this was in a theater. Oh, so we are at, like, the movie tavern? No. What? Why we did were she in a movie pizza theater. at a movie theater? That's crazy. She got a pizza. We were at the, the Regal. Oh, madness. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, just... just crying our eyes out oh my god and she kind of teased us quietly because we were the back row we get away with that and meanwhile the next horrible strike to your heart comes and she's also crying (laughs) yeah that movie's um it's a real it's a real emotional roller coaster mostly a bad one (laughs) a lot of it's very bad that movie tore at my heart and i'll tell you what See, see, I've seen it two times since. Yes. The first, the second time I saw it, rather, after that movie theater experience where I swore off it cold turkey. <laughs> I had gone to, I was in a uh, AP physics class in high school and the teacher was, we were ahead, we were ahead of our content. Not wanting to get too far ahead, he was like, all right, and next week we're doing movie week. So we watched Interstellar and then the next class after <coughs> that was discussing uh, the physics of the movie and whether or not it was accurate. Oh, that's very cool. It was very interesting. teacher was the best. He was the coolest dude ever. He made wine. Like, he's like, yeah, if not you, for, any of you turn 12... 
not for the class. Um, he said just like generally for himself. And he said if you ever want to come back and and he'll let you have a bottle of wine after you turn twenty one. <laughs> you should hilarious. do that now that you're twenty one. I plan on taking him up on his offer at some point. Um, I anyway, that's beside the point. Very formative guy for me. But yeah, so we just get that for a class or two, and then uh, again for this movie again when we when we watched it, I watched it with my girlfriend uh, to prepare for this podcast. And cried your eyes out again. And weeped again, and she made fun of me. It was oh, she didn't weep. She's cold. She did. She did not weep. I know it was very. It was a very eye-opening moment for me. Yeah, that really will tell you a lot about a person. <laughs> like if we, if one of us is gonna cry in situations, apparently it'll be me. Apparently that's gonna be you. Okay. So how about you, CZ? <laughs> I had seen it once before at our parents' house, just sort of on a night, like on an evening, randomly. Oh, that's not an accidental movie. That's not like a hey, let this sounds good. I know. <laughs> like that's I think, a hard I think movie. I had like been wanting to see it, but I don't remember there being any particular fanfare about it. And I remember feeling like so brainwashed afterwards. <laughs> and just like I was so into it. I don't remember if I cried like a baby. I probably did. I'm gonna assume I did. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you were very cold at that age. Today I cried like a baby and I got like goosebumps whenever Michael Caine started saying his poem over like shots oh of space travel. Oh man, it was rough. And listen, I watched this movie in, I guess, three separate stretches. Because I watched it this morning, then I had to go somewhere, and then I came back for like an hour and a half, and I watched it for that period of time. And then I had to leave. And this was like, <laughs> I had to leave like right as Coop and Tars were falling into the black hole. I was like, damn it. And then I came back and watched, like, the last 20 minutes of the film. <laughs> and let me tell you, I don't, I still had a very strong emotional impact. I would have thought it would ruin it. And maybe it depleted it a little bit, but it was still very, very impactful. Cece, have you read the rest of that poem? Uh, I have before. I did not today. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to read it now, obviously, because I could it's not. It's a long poem, isn't it? Well, it's um, six stanzas or so. That's not so bad. And each one's about three lines. Still pretty bad podcast uh, content. Pretty, pretty. If, weirdly enough, poems, bad podcast content. You'd think that audio medium would be good for podcasts. <laughs> it is not. There are pro- there's probably a really good podcast out there where somebody reads poetry. For example, LeVar Burton has a podcast Excellent. called LeVar Burton Reads. That's great. Which is very important. That is great. <laughs> it's very important to me that that exists. I've actually never listened to it, but I'm glad of it. It's there whenever I need it. But go on, the poem. But anyway, so first of all, for anyone that's interested, this poem is uh, called Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. A very creative title. Easy to guess. Yeah. Based it's on a, your experience a, with it. a classic poem by Dylan Thomas. Wow. I would so, not have um, guessed that name. Yeah, right? I mean, I know nothing about poetry. If you just, guys can't, just real quick, like that first stanza that I think is the one that's repeated through. I don't think they do more than one stanza. Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so because that it's, that theme is like repeated throughout the poem, right? The rage, rage against the dying of the light. Um, every other stanza. So it's the first stanza, the third stanza, the fifth, and the sixth. Okay, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. So I think this stanza gets repeated though. It's do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. I think that's the line that's in all of them. Yes. Although I think there might be the part about the wise men maybe in the end. Okay. Um, but anyway, that's such a good, like, I don't think it's necessarily a good space travel poem. 
<laughs> well, it is like, for this not, kind of space travel. It, well, that's exactly that's what I'm saying. Like, humanity is at the doorstep. Yeah, literally. We are one foot ready to just kind of tumble on into that grave. Yeah. And the whole Have time of this no movie, time. Yeah, exactly. It is, it is zero hour. Yeah. And the whole theme of the movie is, like, humanity will not go quietly. We will do everything we can. Damn it, we, we will fight, 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 fight. Exactly. We will find a way to survive. You can be goosebumps just talking about it now. I, this, yeah. this just really impacts goosebumps. me. <laughs> well, I think it's because we're not that far from it. <laughs> Shut like, up! We say that, we talk about this every episode. First of all, this I because I checked. I don't think they said it. I don't know if they just said it at any point in the movie, but they said it was like the mid twentieth century. So that alone is pretty grim. <laughs> I honestly, for okay, from a from a criticism standpoint, and this is probably like my main criticism of the film as a whole. I don't feel like they set up the apocalypse very well, like. Don't get me wrong. The way they fed it to you was was good, but they did not explain it. They were just like, you know, blight and um, and uh, dust. <laughs> You're like, but wait, why? And there's well, no explanation. I have an argument for that. Okay. I think it's because the way Christopher Nolan kind of crafted this movie, in all those like kind of interims with the interviews going on, mm-hmm. I think the whole idea was... You are someone in the future learning about the great exodus of mankind. Yeah. So you're learning about um, Amelia, or not about Amelia, about Murphy, uh, figuring out this whole gravity equation to manipulate gravity. Right. You're hearing about, you know, how Cooper went and got that information for her and transmitted it to her. Like, all these really big things. But everyone knows about the blight. Uh, like, yeah, no, that's fair no enough. No one talks about through the bubonic plague, really. Like, you learn bubonic plague in school, but, like, everyone knows what the bubonic plague was. That's true. Like, you just that's say a bad example, the plague like, and people know what you're talking about. You know, it's like... It's um, like the Great War. Yeah, exactly. It's like between the First and Second World War when everyone just said the Great War. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, the Great War. You know, the Great War. The Great War, yeah. Yeah, that's That's true. my theory. Everyone knows what the blight is. Yeah, so maybe it was, like, an artistic choice. I mean, Nolan's obviously no slouch. Yeah, I think he would have built that world if that was what he was going for. But I think what he was going for was the artistic, like... He didn't really care why the Earth was dying. It just mattered that the Earth was dying and dying fast. Yeah, it was the story of the journey that he was trying to tell, not about mankind. Yeah. So, I think that's why he made that choice. I agree with you. I am someone who loves every detail of world building that's why like when you heard us when we talked about the name of the wind like i we love we basically you thought about world building that whole time oh we just eat up the whole time i'll eat up world building in any content i love yes every definitely. book and series or every media series i love is about world building <laughs> pretty much that plays a really big role yeah a huge and like there's a lot of sci-fi books that i read that are just like these crappy like two dollar sci-fi books on kindle but they have like interesting worlds they build so yeah. i'm more interested in the world than i am in like this like care not at all for the characters i just yeah, want to this, know what's going on in the world yeah exactly this like stereotypical trope about you know the journey the hero gets struck down but then he rises up stronger than ever yada 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 yeah but the world is cool the science <laughs> is cool yeah um, that's what i really like in my media and, and that's kind of why the one of the issues i had with this movie i agree with you that like the blight was never explained. It was just like, yeah, the blight, like this 
uh, some sort of, you know, infection or some sort of mold or something, I would guess. It seemed almost like it was a disease that was like bouncing from species to species, like a virus that was adapting really quickly because they're like, oh, okra's gone. <laughs> like wheat soon, you know? Yeah. Or although... no, we, we already lost wheat. Like all we have left is corn. And then they have like a dust bowl situation. And I was thinking about how I know obviously very little about agricultural science, but I'm pretty sure if you just repeat the same crop over and over and over again, it's really bad for your soil, especially if you don't have fertilizer. Yeah. It eats up all the same nutrients. And that's like what causes dust bowls and so on and so forth. So maybe, I mean, that is supported, but... I mean, Coop is like, they should have just planted corn like the rest of us. I don't know what they were thinking, planting okra. I'm like, he was probably thinking crop rotation. (laughs) (laughs) And also, why was Donald giving Coop a hard time about repopulating the earth? Like, what happened? Was there a nuclear war? That's like my only... I think it was starvation. Guess? Like, think about how much... If starvation was the problem, why would they want more people? (laughs) It's like, are you insane? Don't repopulate the earth. Well, no, they were saying in in that... Uh, meeting that like food was starting to bounce back food production was had caught up with population it was pulling ahead okay like there was i think in all a, of a sudden it was hopeful in a way yeah like all right food production's going up um the world's starting to recover obviously nasa knew that wasn't true secret nasa but secret nasa something about that i just love i i did love that um but i'm but continuing on with this like they were going, all right, there is a hope now. We've saw, we've gotten through the worst. Hey, they passed their singularity. Yes. All right. And they, they, they thought they did. They thought they did, right. They did not. But they had thought the worst was over. We survived as a species. We're going to move on stronger than ever. Yes. And, and obviously we know, we know that wasn't true, right. It's not like we're just going to sit our plates upside down and keep a rag over our water. And, and just, that's how we're going to live. And our mouths. And our mouths. Um, and just keep on trope, trucking, you know? And obviously that's an issue. I have another theory about the Dust Bowl. I think it was probably aggravated that if the blight had been jumping from so many things, mm-hmm. I think it wouldn't have only targeted, like, food crops. Oh, it yeah. Tar- targeted everything. So, like, trees are probably, like, a lot of trees are probably consumed. Yeah, grass species, like, all this clover. shit, yeah. Basically so anything that nothing... would, like, hold the dirt together. Exactly. So all of a sudden there's nothing holding the dirt down and it just goes. Yeah, that's a good point. There's also never any rain. We, like, never yeah. saw rain. Which was weird, I think. Yes. I mean, we might just not have seen it, I think. Uh, they couldn't have grown crop. I mean, they, they. I think there was definitely less rain, but there must have been some of it, right? I don't know. Maybe. The and there was a is, reservoir. We probably shouldn't spend too much time on the world as they set it up, because Nolan didn't, but... <laughs> And there really wasn't a lot. Of, I mean, we've talked about it. Now the world's been covered. I did think it was interesting that they, like, mainstreamed, um, like, conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. That there, we never went to the moon and shit. Yeah. Oh, it was brilliant propaganda. Yeah, we recast that as, like, a, a stroke of genius by the misinformation campaigns of World War II. Yeah, and, like, they basically made a whole thing about how um, space travel was, like, this excess and unnecessary and everything. And uh, I think that's interesting. And that's why NASA was secret. (laughs) So you had secret NASA. I'll tell you what. I think the most compelling argument I've ever heard for the conspiracy theory that we didn't go to the moon is that it would have been, because imagine if someone in the propaganda office was like, guys, I've got it. Mm -hmm. Like that person would be promoted and then sworn to secrecy. (laughs) I mean, it would but, have been a great 
stroke of oh, brilliance. Look, like, if don't that was wrong, what we did, I just don't believe that that's what happened. <laughs> exactly. I hope, fully believe that we went to the moon. Yes. But damn, that would have been good. That's that's I, a lot more compelling than most flat Earth theories or any flat Earth theory. I almost want to believe it. Because, like, damn, that would have been clever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not sure if it's better if we never went to the moon. <laughs> but, like, damn, I would have had a lot more faith. I would faith. believe it if we had only done it once. Or I wouldn't believe it, but I would give it more credence as a possibility. But we You're did right. It, like, if we hadn't repeat. gone back. We had a yeah. bunch of Apollo missions, guys. Yeah. Like, I got, yeah, one or two of them didn't work after 11, right? 11 was the one that, the first one that Melinda did, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. You know, I think, uh, what was it, Apollo 15 that didn't? 14 uh, that didn't what that like that had to leave because the, there's like a whole movie about it they Apollo had 13 route. Thir- oh 13 that's okay yes anyway doesn't matter um the point is right. i thought it was an interesting consequence of i guess bouncing back from an apocalypse that i guess the idea is that the 20th century caused the apocalypse in in certain ways in and possibly excess. like and possibly like the association of nasa uh technology with you know, government technology as a whole, which includes military technology, and I think that there's a lot of sharing back and forth between NASA and the military. And so it might be that if there's some sort of a war that caused that situation, that NASA sort of went down with a bad reputation of military. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yes. I think it was an interesting touch um, when they go into secret NASA. I, I have a little more thing I want to say about their their agrarian move, but um, I just thought this now, that the... I love that little bit in there about uh, how NASA refused to drop weapons from space. That's why they were shut down. Oh, really? I missed that detail. Oh, when when Coop was talking to Elder Brand. Okay. Wait, Brand. Elder Brand. Okay. About um. About NASA, he's like, I heard you guys were shut down. Mm-hmm. Oh, Brand is Brand. Sorry. Um, Brand goes. Oh, well, you see. Yes, when we when the military turned to us during the, during the resource wars, basically, and there's some different name for it, but it was resource wars, uh-huh. uh, and asked us to drop bombs or drop weapons from space, we said no, oh. and that's why NASA was shut down by the government because NASA NASA went. Oh, rogue so and NASA's like a privately weapons. funded organization now. I think no, I think NASA's government funded again, but I think they were shut down for years because they said no, we're not going to engage in your war from space. Oh, so they had been shut down, and then like after all that stuff calmed down, then government's like, okay, you can be our new secret. Like, oh <laughs> shit, we need you. <laughs> yeah, I think the government because, probably realized. Oh wait, hang on, the Earth's dying. Can you do something, NASA? Please. Can we run? I also like how NASA's doing like all the botany studies and everything. NASA's basically all science. I mean. That's probably what happened. No, but I would think that there would be other centers of agricultural science. I feel like science as a whole kind of got, kind of got a bad rap because you look at um. You look at when Coop is talking to the to the, the the principal and the teacher. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I mean these all right, yes, but you know what else came of our excess and what else came from like the inventions during the space race, the, um, MRI. Yeah, and there's and no like, more MRIs be... apparently. Which yeah, how did there's that no happen? more MRIs, which are like <laughs> what a... happened to the MRIs? Yeah, why'd you guys ruin all the MRIs? We need those. <laughs> Took them apart to build that spaceship. Damn it, NASA. <laughs> Damn it, NASA, you're always ruining shit. <laughs> uh, but no, so like that seemed. I think there's probably a move against. It was probably a push for an agra- completely agrarian, completely like grassroots society. Yeah. Like, whatever you can do with your own two hands kind of society. Yeah. 
And sort of like back to college being for the very, very few. Yeah, like back to like the 17th century. Like we don't need thinkers, we need farmers. Which is stupid because we do need thinkers to make Earth like habitable. <laughs> like, to even make farming better. Make like farming you guys better. are con- like you don't have wheat anymore. Like there's that one scene with Tom and his family where the mom's like, oh, like how's your souffle? And hey, kid, do you want more fritters? Like it's all corn food. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just y'all are corn. just eating corn and hopefully vitamins. So, like, maybe you do need <laughs> scientists working on how to, like, make, better make crops, um, you know, resistant, resistant to, to the, the blight. blight. Okay. Yeah, how about that? All right. How about this? How about the Fucking... seed banks? What happened to the seed banks? How about this? aeroponics? Huh? Just quick question. Are those a thing? <laughs> I don't really know what aeroponics are. Why don't they like, build habitats so that there's not dust everywhere? Uh, aeroponics, you see, are growing food without soil, which basically means you can do it in contained situations, like a dome. Like inside. <laughs> where the blight can't get to. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, why isn't everything grown in massive greenhouses so that the blight can't access it? Yeah, you guys are really fucking this up. Maybe you should have sent some more people to college. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a couple more people in college would have thought of that. <laughs> Oh, Lord. All right. Well, let's how move about on. just sealed houses that can't get dusted? Well, last anyway. thought about the state of Earth. Um, <laughs> we were watching it this morning, and they reveal the spaceship, and Albert's like, hang on. You're going to tell me you're going to save the world with an underfunded government project? <laughs> Shit doesn't even work when everything's funded. <laughs> I was like, you know what? He right. He right. Fair point. Touche. <laughs> he was like, so hours. She's like, please. That would uh, never happen. I don't well, care how motivated you are. I mean, I don't know. Coop did point out that money doesn't... Um, so, first of all, what the fuck is the government? Uh, unclear. There's no militaries anymore, apparently. Because, I don't know about you, but when I watched this movie the first time, I just kind of assumed that everything was at, like, a municipality level. Really? No, I don't oh, think yeah. definitely a federal government. I don't know. It, it seemed like everything was kind of... It definitely seemed like... You remember Somebody's back when still America- paying the teachers in the public schools. That's all I'm saying. You remember when back when America was still being like formed and everyone was fighting about who has more power, the state or the federal yeah. government? I'm getting a strong vibe that it went heavily in the state's direction in this one. Okay, but the federal government still exists because A, NASA, Fair. and B, Coop's like, I still pay taxes. And I know there's such a thing as state taxes, but I'm pretty sure he pays both. <laughs> and, and municipality fees and stuff, but yes, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, right, okay. My there is still is a federal government. I don't know how involved it is in day-to-day life, but it exists. My theory, not very. Um, just kind of my food for thought. <laughs> Maybe they run the, the university to get all the scientists into NASA. <laughs> Maybe. Um, apparently, that's where all, like, I don't think there's anywhere else to go if you're a scientist. Apparently, that's the only place educated people go. It doesn't matter what you study. Botany, sure, come on in. Yep, you're ours. Get over here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, NASA, let's go. The university just teaches <laughs> agricultural science. Okay, bye. Uh, but anyway, also yeah. just a side note, I was so outraged when Anne Hathaway, she kept bringing embryos out of the freezer. I'm like, put those away. She like pulled them out. I was like, here's the embryos. And then sat them on the table. I'm like, woman, <laughs> they're going to, to thaw. <laughs> what are you doing? She's like constantly flexing these embryos. <laughs> weird flex. Weird flex, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, weird flex that you have a ton of embryos. <laughs> okay. Calm down about your embryos. Put them You're really happy the about your fertilized eggs. They're not important to you. <laughs> But, I mean, uh, to be fair, a a good plan B. 
the idea of like having all these genetically diverse embryos and like just enough sort of artificial wombs to grow the first 10 and then using surrogacy thereafter. I think it's a good idea. I mean, uh, bad rap for those 10 though. Yeah. It's sort of like, welcome to earth. Well, not earth. Welcome to earth. Welcome too. to life. Um, here's an embryo. Oh, it's you're 14. You. Okay, let's go. Oh, perfect. Oh, congratulations. You got your first period. She's ready. <laughs> Get her in there. Report for your doctor's appointment tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously. But, like, also, that's kind of. Also, I hope Anne Hathaway strained in midwifery. Uh, yeah. She probably. I can't imagine they missed that one. <laughs> oh, shit. It was Doyle. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, shit. Doyle was the midwife. <laughs> Hysterical. Oh, my God. Oh, anyway. I, okay, so, I found it really jarring when Coop left Earth. It was just sort of like, yeah, I get it was supposed to be dramatic that he had this whole fight with Murph. But, like, literally, he finds out about the program. They're like, great, you're going to um, be our pilot. And he's like, am I? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, all right. And then goes home with Murph, has a fight with her, hugs his son and his father-in-law, and leaves. Like, hang on. Slow down. <laughs> like, don't they have to run you through training first? Can't you commute for a while? Like, why do you have to live at the secret NASA base and never say goodbye to your children? It's insane. Well, to be fair, it's a day drive. Like, it's not a short drive. Okay. <laughs> but like, no, fair enough. It was like, this is our only chance to say goodbye to each other. Like, have a nice life. I literally don't know if I'll ever see you again. I will be... A couple hundred miles away, but, like, we'll never talk again. It's It was so jarring and weird. It was super weird. Um, the lack of training that was at least shown. They're like, oh, no, I'm, you're a great pilot. It's fine. There must have been some, right? I wonder if the pilot, whoever was supposed to be the pilot, was pissed. They're like, come on. I've been working my ass off. Or relieved. Or relieved. I'd be relieved. I mean, I don't know. You're stuck on Earth. Like, you have no no reason to believe that's going to work. Oh, no. I mean, the pilot was probably still on the mission, I assumed. Maybe? Oh. Maybe it was Doyle. Maybe Doyle was the pilot. Maybe that's why he was salty all the time. He was pretty salty. Plus, he was stuck Doyle... a crane from the Hunger Games, so he had a villainous look about him. And he was the co-pilot. Yep, there you go. That actually makes that sense. That actually tracks. All right, head Yeah, cannon. no, Do- right, Doyle was the pilot. It's, it's, a, it's a mundane head cannon, but there it is. Yeah, it's not as good as our last head cannon that we had with... Patrick Hoppus. <laughs> um, so all of the spaceship scenes are like, they are, they so effectively convey loneliness and isolation. It's, it's yes. to me, I just, I felt, I felt lonely watching them, especially when Romilly's like having an existential crisis and Coop walks in with his headphones in and he hands him the iPod and walks away and he puts the headphones in and it's just like crickets and rain and like nature sounds. I was just so sad. It was like a punch to the gut. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Rom like, pointed it out. He's like, look at that. Like, there's millimeters of aluminum separating me from nothing. Literally like, Fuck, nothing. Fuck, there is. He right. <laughs> like, Shit, you right, Rom? Yeah. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> But, like, just, oh, God. Like, the idea of going down to sleep for two years, like, setting your kids' video, being like, all right, nap time. Um, in two years, I'll be at Saturn. I'll, like, video you then. And then catching up on all their stuff. Oh, man. It, like, mean, and that and that's just the start of it. Like, it just made me feel so lonely for them. 
And, like, they have each other, but none of them really, like, care about each other in that way. Like, it's better than being totally alone, but not much better. It's interesting because, you know, in space travel now, obviously there's not as much man... Man space travel is not nearly as intensive as this, but it honestly makes it all Mm -hmm. more important. Like, the crew of a space mission are not necessarily the four or whatever best candidates. Best qualified. Right, exactly. They're not necessarily, on paper, the best qualified. Maybe they're not the smartest. Maybe they're not the most physically fit. Yeah. They're among the top of the class, among the best, but they also have the best team chemistry. Yeah. They're like the four that work together the best, that have had no major issues, that have no drama between them. Can, like, handle their, you know, conflicts. Can handle their shit. Yeah, exactly. Get and like get along if... and have humor and exactly. Is that like, a Martian the... thing or is that a real thing? Sense of humor being a like a score for an astronaut, basically. Oh no, it's absolutely a real thing. I would hope so. I mean, um, it makes there sense. Was, there have actually been experiments where they take um, either former astronauts or even some current astronauts that just like weren't on the bucket list for a while. They were mm-hmm. kind of down the totem pole, and they lock them away right. for like nine months, just the, the crew. To kind of simulate the idea of traveling to Mars and what that will do in the human psyche. Because we have no idea. Yeah. And they kind of, they make sure that there's like always, you know, a good comedic chemistry between them two. You can work well with someone. Like if I sit down in a class with someone and I can work well with them. But it doesn't mean I want to go get a beer with them or something. Right. And then eventually you will grade against each other. And if you don't have a good rapport, then those issues are going to be a lot harder to resolve. Like, you'll have to resolve them somehow or another, but it's just how much, like, damage is done before that's done. And there has to be a trust, and, and humor is one of the ways that we really interact with one another. So, I mean, I feel like that's a part of building trust is sort of irrelevant and as, as it would seem. Exactly. And so that's kind of the, the important bit, which is why TARS is my candidate for most important team member. Tars is great. First of all, I, I I had the same reaction this time as I did last time, and I remember having this reaction last time. That's a weird-looking robot. Like, it's a weird design for a robot, and it looks very clunky. Like, because it moves so fast, I'm like, that's cardboard <laughs> when I see it. But then, like, over the course of the movie, you get used to it, and you're like, that's an awesome robot. That robot's really versatile. Yeah, exactly. It's honestly, to me, it's like all the parts where he kind of breaks apart and you go, okay, you're not just like four blocks, huh? Yeah. Cause it has like a real like doctor who old star Trek feel initially, but yeah, yeah. he's just like, has the two arms forward and he's like leaning over him. I was like, shit, you are a basic as shit robot. And his voice doesn't sound modified at all. It just sounds like a human voice. So it just, it seems so awkward. But then I think my turning point was when they were on the, um, the water planet and it was like, go save Anne Hathaway. And he's like, word. And he just turns into this like rolling star machine and like flies <laughs> yeah. across and grabs her. And oh, like, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember if that was Tars or Case, but same design. Awesome. I believe that was I'm Tars. inclined to say that's Case, but. Oh. Oh. <laughs> doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter. All robots are the same. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that was racist. <laughs> Um, speciest? Speciest, probably. I mean, I don't think... It's it's humanist. It's humanist, very good one. Thank you, thank you. Good catch. One thing that I also found baffling was, like, how they were so convinced that there was a they. 
they were like, no, we're definitely getting messages from entities that can walk in five dimensions. It, oh, so why'd they pick five? I guess we live in four dimensions, so that makes sense. Never mind. But, but we can't traverse time at will. No, we traverse time at a fixed rate, typically. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, at, at, at fixed rate, we, objectively. Or I argue that humans live in four dimensions. Yeah, I it guess that's mean, why five dimensions, but then what's the fifth dimension? I don't fucking know. If I knew that, I'd live in five dimensions. That's not true. <laughs> that's it is. It's automatic. <laughs> that's not how that works. Once you discover the fifth dimension. I guess well, you need, like, it's like a second time. Because <laughs> like, you need, because towards the end, should we talk about this now or save it? I mean, we can talk about it now. It doesn't matter. Our podcast, The Cool Thing About It, has no linear order. <laughs> we kind of just jump around where well, we want. This, yes. <laughs> speaking of relativity. Um, <laughs> no. But they, so they, they end up in this, they call it a tesseract of yes. five-dimensional space. And the way that sort of manifests is the same scene of Murph's bedroom, which they somehow were able to, like interact project sort of okay i have a theory on that whenever you're ready okay and you can travel through this i guess fifth dimension that brings you between um brings you across the dimension of time at will and helps you interact with the three dimensions of space as we know it at will but we always can do that at will quick quick you're quick Quick thing. What? I mean, okay, so we... So there's this thing called a direction vector. Yes. And it's just, like, pointing. But it has no magnitude of movement involved. Okay. Right? Um, so, like, a direction vector, I think, crossed with a... Or, no, times the scalar of a speed is your velocity. Yes. Direction vector is just normalized velocity. So, we can travel... And velocity requires time. So we, the reason we can travel in X, Y, and Z is because time is constantly moving, right? We're constantly moving along the time axis. Yes. So if you add another dimension on top of that, if you think about like orders of significance, there's mm. X and Y, and then Z adds an extra step to that. That's just space. And then you add time, and that allows movement through space. And if you add a fifth dimension, whatever that is, it allows movement through time. I kind of see what you're saying. I don't like obviously. I have and no that, that concept is sort of beyond us because it's not a dimension on which we operate. Yeah, exactly. It's not a dimension on which we operate. I'm sure there's some sort of mathematical base. I mean, there are several mathematical bases for higher dimensions of, of studying, but that's another argument altogether. Right. That's another discussion. And listen, Peter and I have never taken an advanced physics course. We just. Oh God, it. no! I, I just enjoy a reader for fun. <laughs> This is entirely um, taught to us by the internet and our own critical thinking skills, which are... But there is debatable. one theory for the multiverse theory <laughs> that involves the space between multiple universes existing in, like, nine dimensions. Anyway. Well, and that's what they were... Weren't they saying that they were moving through extra-dimensional space when they were in the wormhole? I mean, yeah, but that's a different thing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay, yes. How is it different? Yes, but... Okay. So are you saying... Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's by, the verbiage they used, right? I don't... I'm not sure if it was extra-dimensional. Because the, the point is that within a wormhole, theoretically, 
obviously, because these are way more theoretical than anything else we've talked about, really. Mm-hmm. Um, there are only only some solutions of the special theory of relativity actually has wormholes in it, as opposed to like black holes, which they all have, just in different forms. Right. Um, but essentially, the wormhole inside the wormhole exists regular space-time. The only difference is it acts as a point of contact between two points in space-time. So it's outside of normal space-time, but in your relative perspective, from your viewpoint, it is regular space-time, if that makes sense. Um, it does to me. That's not how they portrayed it in the movie, though. I think they did in some ways. I think it was slightly distorted, but definitely space-time. Otherwise, they were they like, you can't it. even, like, because cause Coop tried to control the, um, the, the spacecraft and, um... Was it Romilly who was like, "You can't do that. Like, we're we're not in like we're not in space anymore." Basically, I mean that could be explained by a strong strong gravitational force um, sucking you to through the end of the tunnel. Maybe, but why? Well, why would gravity even come into it? Gravity is the whole basis of wormholes. Well, I mean, in some ways, yes, but in this movie, they're talking about oh, to create. A, they specifically talked about how oh, it's a gravitational, gravitational anomaly. anomaly. Yeah, yeah that's and then true. the wormhole rolled around, and they're like, "Oh, you can manipulate gravity, shit!" And they came up with this theory. Um, that's kind of the basis. So, I mean, I'm right. assuming gravity involves some somehow their five dimensional beings were able to manipulate gravity in such a way which created, um, created the wormhole. Okay, yeah, maybe. I mean, this whole this whole movie is kind of a um. It's kind of a time loop. But I guess there's something to be learned about humanity in that. <laughs> the, the sort of whole, the whole theme of the movie being like, we will not go gently. Like we will, we have this drive to survive for better or for worse that will lead us to fight like crazy. Like Matt Damon. <laughs> um, who we will get to. Who we will get to. And so, I don't know, in a way it makes some sense that, somehow humanity set humanity like humanity of the future set humanity of the past up to survive long enough for humanity of the future to exist you know what i mean it's i mean yes it's it's not is it a paradox no but like if you if anything went differently like if coop hadn't decided to drop into that black hole then it would have been a paradox you know Right? Yeah, but in the future, it already happened. So they know that's how it's going to go. Yes. But the only reason they got to that point was because all of this had happened to begin with. Well, think about it this way. Once you reach that fifth dimension, all of a sudden you're unmoored from time. Yeah. So you can exist in any time you want to. But that fifth dimension was created by humanity of the future. By, yeah, by human evolution. I think the idea is human evolution is what they talked about. That's true. Yeah, they did. But the, um, my point stands. But you're right. It, you're right. They, they The human involvement in there is in the future. Yeah. And I don't know. They, they, this idea of time travel is so tricky because, all right, it depends on what idea you subscribe to, right? So there's time travel where um, what you do in your own timeline. So if you go back in time and kill your grandfather, right, that classic analogy. That classic, uh, that classic example. Right. You go back in time, you kill your grandfather, do you exist or not? And if you no longer exist because you killed your grandfather, then you did not go back in time to kill your grandfather. The classic paradox. Right. 
And yes. it just goes back and forth, back and forth. Now, there are multiple ideas about this. So, first of all, one of them is solved by the multiverse theory, which is why, honestly, the multiverse theory came about in the first place. Someone was like, hey, what the fuck? And then started coming up, realizing the math kind of supported it a little bit. Okay. A little bit. And the idea is that you go back in time, you kill your grandfather. Okay, what that does is that starts an entirely new timeline right at that moment. Right. And then the timeline in which sudden, you were never born. But you, yeah, you, you were are still born. born. No. No? Your grandfather died. No. You were not born in that new timeline. Yes, but now, you, the perpetrator of the grandpa murder, live on. You survive. Because the yeah. universe that you're from does not have your grandpa being murdered in it. Exactly. And that create and now that grandfather is still murdered, and that's where it gets weird, and that's why this isn't a fact, it's just theory. But it <laughs> creates that new spin-off universe where you never existed, your grandfather was murdered, and that's all fact. Right. There's a lot more to it, but that's honestly all I can talk about right now without going into like a huge spiel. <laughs> we did not research this part of the of the conversation. This just happened. Yeah, I mean I But okay, that's uh, like that almost to me just like this conversation always disproves time travel to me as like even a possibility. Well, what it's do you like, mean? It's like too hard to reconcile. It's like how Dad feels about theoretical physics. <laughs> All right, is... <laughs> this is a good time to mention this as any. Yes. So here's another friendly uh, family anecdote. <laughs> Our father. It's not that he doesn't believe in theoretical physics. I don't. He's want to a try very to... logical man. He's very I rational. Don't know. Yeah, he, he's very rational. He does rationality for a living. Um, I don't want to try to kind of convey him as like some flat earther, but he has a fundamental distrust of theoretical physicists. <laughs> he just kind of thinks they're like having fun with their numbers. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. This is just a play. Well, we can't tell how much he's joking either. We're like, but does he really not believe in relativity? <laughs> he's also like, he was a math major in college. Yes. So I think he's fully aware how much you can mess with numbers. Yes. And then. And to be fair to him, a lot of this shit is a clever playing with numbers. And it's a lot of it's totally theoretical. And like eventually we, you know, measure some data and it supports the the math that we did. But also, or in fairness to him, completely disproves it. <laughs> completely disproves it. But also, like you can manipulate data to say like kind of whatever you want. And that's why peer review exists and stuff to sort of temper that. But. But you can only temper it so much when everyone's working from the same data. God bless the person who's trying to, like, disprove Hawking, you know? <laughs> Hawking had a standing bet with another <laughs> physicist about being misproved, like, eventually misproving himself about black holes. Oh, really? Yeah, because black holes. He thought he would? Stephen Hawking continuously actually bounced back and forth on his own theories. Because he would come up with a theory, go, peer review it, publish the paper, then set to disproving it. Oh, that's interesting. And did it several times, like, with a vengeance. He's a pretty incredible person. Uh, he really was. Oh, did he die? I'm... Cece, he, I, he's definitely dead. Was he? It, it was recent, that if he did. Yeah, like, in the last, like, I think, couple yeah, years. Yeah, he might have died. Let me look. <laughs> look, look, quick. Pause for <laughs> the Google, Google. If you listen to our last episode, we discussed this. Oh, yeah, he totally died. He died in March of this year. Well, last year, actually, technically. March of last year, yes. Rest in peace, um, Stephen Hawking. You were a incredible person who did a lot for this world. Came up with some weird shit. Yes. But uh, I guess see, for Sea Hawking Radiation. Sea Hawking Radiation. Uh, Giant Space and Ninjas, episode at four, I believe, of the universe in you. Yes. Uh, um, anyway. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of his, his whole shtick. And, you know, once again, though, you're only working with so much data. So you're just fucking with numbers at this point. <laughs> Uh, we, point being we don't have that much data our dad's just kind of like ah, 
don't know if I buy all this, <laughs> which I do kind yeah. of get. On, on one hand, I'm like, that's fair. <laughs> he, his, sorry, the way he described it to us was, I think a bunch of physicists just get in a room together and they come up with shit. And they're like, all right, yeah, everyone support that. It's just world building. It's just world building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, CC nailed it in one. Good job. Thanks. Um, so oh, speaking man. of theoretical physics. Uh, okay. Shall we talk about the black hole and the time dilation and what a big role that plays in everything? Absolutely. Gargantua. Gargantua. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about it. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? I mean, do you want me to talk about Gargantua? Okay, well, we can talk about the initial impact of the time dilation and then the very practical argument of, like, actually, we're just going to treat time as a resource, which makes sense because humanity's time is so limited. Um, but, yeah, the, the I think this... This might have been the first time I learned about gravitational time dilation, which is not a concept I understand very well still. Like, oh, I, sort, actually... I sort of get speed time dilation. Okay, hey, CC. Yeah. You could talk about that because I don't get that one at all. I only get gravitational time dilation. Um, I'd rather not. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it offline. <laughs> offline. <laughs> if it becomes um, relevant in another episode, I will talk about it. I'm certain it will. <laughs> it did not Ender's Game. It did an Ender's Game, that's true. And we probably talked about it then. It's okay. one of those things anyway. that, like, about once a year, I, I look up videos on it, and then I teach it to myself again, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then I just slowly lose it over the course of the year. <laughs> the po- I know that I am capable of understanding time-based <laughs> time dilation. Speed has something to do with standing on a train versus watching a train. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, gravitational time dilation, I don't understand. Peter, explain. What? Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> So imagine, if you will, this this is the classic go-to example, so assume I'm plagiarizing about someone else, of a blanket that represents space-time. So that that is a, a four-dimensional blanket. Don't worry about that there's no X, Y, Z. It doesn't matter. It looks like uh, a two-dimensional blanket, but it is, in fact, four-dimensional. <laughs> yeah, well, when you break it all, when you kind of press it all down, actually, um, it... it the way things behave on it, it looks like a two-dimensional blanket. Sure. Now, uh, take a marble and put it on your bed, right? Like your 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 blanket. And the marble probably has a small divot. Honestly, it probably rolled into something else's divot. Like a <laughs> divot that was already there. It just rolled in. Fine, whatever. So it has this small little, little cup. Little cubby. It doesn't really affect anything else outside of its area. It's not very big. You know, it doesn't really put that much of an impact on the, the blanket. Imagine that's like your Earth. Okay. Now let's scale it up a little bit. Let's talk about a tennis ball. Put a tennis ball on the bed. It probably leaves a bigger divot, right? It's going to have a, a, a larger impact. That's like the sun. Now, if you put that close enough to that marble, the marble's going to roll right into the divot of the sun or the tennis ball. <laughs> Straight into the sun. That marble's dead. Which happens it's to Earth. insane. Have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried it? it Have you ever up. put a marble next to a tennis ball? <laughs> it's like so much better than Diet Coke and Mentos. <laughs> <laughs> Very dangerous for air travel, though. Wear safety glasses. <laughs> it's why they wouldn't bring a tennis ball or a marble on a plane. I'm pretty sure my marble is like flying off its escape velocity. <laughs> safety glasses wouldn't save you. Bigger shards to kill you quicker instead of the hot little pieces. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so 
that that's the sun, right? The the tennis ball. And you know, the the marble will fall into the hole of the tennis ball unless you give it some speed going around the tennis ball. Uh, theoretically, if friction wasn't a thing and you had it right, all worked out, it would just rotate around the tennis ball in circles. Right. Uh, or orbit it, right? That's the idea of the Earth orbiting the sun. And why if we didn't really have nice. a velocity traveling in space tangential to our orbit, we would fall into the sun. Right, because orbit is just free fall. We are falling towards the sun at every moment. Exactly. We just, Imagine we just keep missing. To, exactly, we're falling towards the sun, but we miss. Exactly, Cece. We are in a missing loop, and that is how orbit works. Right. Like, imagine when they put satellites in space, they don't just leave them there. They wrote, they orbit them. Now, it might appear to stick on top of the Earth, like geosynchronous orbit, but there is an exact distance away from the Earth that geosynchronous orbit occurs. Because your radial motion, your radial velocity, or how many degrees you're moving around the Earth, is the exact same as the surface of the Earth. <coughs> All right, so now back to our blanket. Imagine if you put a bowling ball on the, <laughs> the bed. That's going to leave a huge-ass divot, right? Yes. Uh, the, the tennis ball's going to roll in. The marble's going to roll in. They're both going to implode because that's how that works. <laughs> and it's just sitting there chilling, being very inconvenient when you're trying to sleep. <laughs> now, imagine that's your average black hole. 20 to 40 stellar masses somewhere in that window. Um, it's okay. Now, imagine a black hole like Gargantua. Um, that's like if an elephant steps on your bed. <laughs> an elephant the size of a marble. An elephant the size of a marble steps on your bed. But I'm the sorry, weight of an elephant. <laughs> Do you want me to talk about the structure of black holes now, too? Um, it seems relevant. It, oh, my God. You were hoping I would... Never mind. Um, <laughs> that was not a set, by the way. This is the exact example I used yesterday when I was explaining this to Maria. But we didn't talk about elephants. Uh, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> Go on. So, that elephant's foot is very heavy, much heavier than, like, the 12-pound bowling ball, and it's going to roll right into the elephant's foot. Uh, and then explode. Um, <laughs> and become part of the elephant. And really just join the elephant, and we won't see it happen. Because <laughs> um, the elephant's that... also pulling all photons towards it. <laughs> <laughs> a fucking fat elephant so that's the idea of like a supermassive black hole in the elephant okay um so down to time dilation if we imagine time as part of this blanket it's not just the the regular coordinate plane it's time is woven into the blanket um you can tell that part of that now the blanket has some stretch to it like space time space time it is stretchy. It has to bounce to it. And how much you make a divot, because if you if it didn't have some, you know, balance and some resistance to that and some ability to spring back, things that move through space would leave gravitational divots wherever they went, right? Right. Um, in our orbit, we'd fall into our own orbit, like, gravitational trap. So it has some, some spring back. Um, time stretches with the space-time blanket. And... and pulls and pulls with x y and z space time like when you get close and when you fall into a black hole there's this idea this is a scientific term called spaghettification <laughs> it is it's been found in art in like academic papers it exists 
And it's basically all matter gets pulled This is pulled why into- dad doesn't believe in physics. Go on. <laughs> it can- it- well, reactivity in nuclear reactors is measured in dollars, so that's fun. <laughs> like, it's just some bullshit out there that people are just freewheeling. <laughs> Uh, so matter is a protein just... called Sonic Hedgehog. We, we oh, my, every what? field has it. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> um, so this matter gets pulled into these strands and, and just yanked apart because this stretch of space time is happening. It doesn't get so time happens the same way. We just can't see it. Time gets pulled and pulled and pulled. Now imagine a rubber band. If you have a rubber band or any elastic stretch. Uh, cut the end of that rubber band and, and lay it out. Okay. Um, now put it on a piece of paper and take out a ruler and mark marks at one inch apart. Take So two marks, one inch apart on the paper and the rubber band. Okay. <clears throat> now imagine the paper is your local interpretation of time. Mm-hmm. Take the rubber band, pull. The local representation of time, your little in the moment view doesn't change. However, those two one inch points apart get pulled way apart. <clears throat> That's representing the kind of relative to the rest of the universe interpretation of time. So when Cooper and Amelia and Tars make in case and Doyle make their make you no, rest in peace. No, no, no. I'm talking about when they went around Garden oh, okay. Um and they make their close pass that adds fifty one years, their sixteen minute flyby has that definite, okay, this to us, their relative interpretation of time was 16 minutes. The rubber band, the everyone else, was 51 years. Right. That's kind of how the power of gravity can affect time dilation. And, That's and why that kind of all works together. That's interesting. I should have warned you ahead of time that that would be a long talk. No, it's, it's good though. I sort of get it. I, I also, I mean, I like the visual of like the dip. Cause mm-hmm, exactly, yeah, it makes it very, very. Which also it also helps to understand like event horizons and things like that as well. It's a useful it's a useful analogy for black holes in general. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so point is it happened to our friends. Okay. <laughs> but they um, also didn't have to get they didn't have to get like at the event they didn't have to be at the event horizon for the time that it should happen because the. Um, planet that they visited initially was pretty close to the black hole, but it wasn't like, obviously, if it was within the event horizon, they would not have been able to get to it, and it would not exist anymore. It would be part of the black hole now. Yeah, just event horizon, guys, it's the point, after that event, nothing observable within the black hole, it, nothing within the black hole is observable to the rest of the universe. It's basically, which means that it's like an invisible line around the black hole, right? Well, I mean, yeah, it's black, it's just dark, it's, it's, it's the... It's the point where uh, the black hole is pulling in light faster than it can escape. That's why nothing is observable past it. Right. So at that point, <laughs> its so gravitational cool. pull is stronger. It, it is putting such a negative effect on light that like in an instant, as soon as something happens, it pulls it back. Which is why if something falls into a black hole, theoretically, it's visible on the event horizon forever. Because the light's frozen there at the moment it was there. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I've ever heard that. But that yep. makes sense. That's with a lot of theories of black holes. Obviously, what I say is not always true in our theories of black holes, and not necessarily 100% true, obviously, but like, 
Mo- I tend to when I talk about this stuff generally, and I don't specify specifically name the theories. It's I'm just using the general consensus. The stuff you've heard before, like things yeah, that it's people like, who are interested in black holes. No, quote unquote. What it's what most black hole theories have. Things Other that are kind of like, assumptions in black hole theories. Exactly. Okay. These are, these are assumptions, or most people have gone. Yes, this is the thing, and here's. For example, the structure of the singularity being an extremely dense, extremely massive point. Yes, that is an accepted convention in black holes. Right. Yeah. And the event horizon existing, and so on and so forth. Exactly. Whereas you have something with a name like Hawking radiation, and it's like, yeah, it's theorized, but not necessarily everyone agrees with it. Um, most do, but yes. I, I am not, sure there are still not all scientists agree with. They're talking radiation. Yeah, there's always going to be contrarians. They're typically the people, though, that think that quantum mechanics is like a new fad. <coughs> and not they, they think that everything can be solved with classic Newtonian physics with a good enough understanding. <laughs> um, Basically. Anyway. Uh, so, yes. CC, what else should we talk about? Um, I, okay, so the problem that they're facing, essentially, the problem with plan A as they put it, is that they basically are building an O'Neill cylinder and they need to lift it off, right? Because that's that's the only way they can see carrying the remaining population of Earth into space and into safety. Yeah. That was weird. There was not obvious that that was an O'Neill cylinder from the start. No. First of all, he's like, look around. He's like, oh, it's a centrifuge. <laughs> it's like, how did you? It's circular. That's the only clue you had. <laughs> Yeah, it has also, support kind of struts. Why would it be built out of concrete? Why would you build it underground? Underground. I know. Like, their plan seems really bad. I'm like, why can't you build it in space? Maybe there's not enough fuel left in the world to, like, shuttle yeah. up enough materials, I guess? Unless we had a space mining system online, I could get that being. That would probably be easier. <laughs> To develop that a being space like, no, system. we have to figure out a way to hack gravity. That's the only way we can save humanity. And that was really the problem with what the elder Dr. Brand did, is by pretending that there was going to be a way to fix it, he wasted decades of potential research into other solutions. Like, yeah, it was it was like a, a, real, a real stroke of luck that things worked out at all. Yeah, because who would have thought him being able to send a message from inside... A black hole. Also, I have a Who big problem that? with that. He was doing it by hand in Morse code, transmitting data about the yeah, black bu- hole. Bullshit. That would take centuries <laughs> for him and for Murph. Humanity does not have enough time for him to translate data into Morse code. <laughs> Unless, alright, there's only one way I could see that being... Like, what if he was like, okay, this theory, true, move on. Like, but the, if if the theory, if it, if there was an existing theory, then they wouldn't have been like, no, the only way to solve this is to get data from a black hole. Like, I mean, I guess I can see we're saying there's a theory and you need the data from the black hole to prove it, and we can't like throw all our hopes on it. But I feel like you throw all your hopes on it anyway if it's the only thing that's going to make it work. Yeah, I mean, obviously not the greatest point of this movie. Like, not the best. Yeah, <laughs> like, in order to have any sort of useful observations, it would have taken decades, at least, I would think, for him to make the second hand move in, in Morse code fast enough to yes. translate. 
Humanity would have choked to death before he had finished I mean, doing yeah, that. We're not a, like, I don't think it necessarily was like an afternoon. It definitely took some time. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's not... Uh. God, <laughs> like, did he ever lose track of where he was? There's no typos in that entire message. Well, fair point, but also, like, Tars was repeating it back to him the whole time. I feel like Tars should have just done it. <laughs> He's definitely got a tiny there. little probe. I, yeah, but he was somewhere. Tars was somewhere. Well, that was... The, the whole basis of that was... Which is... The ridiculous... The, okay. As soon as he goes over the black holes of End Horizon, the physics breaks down. Everything <laughs> That's else the previous, end of pseudo-accurate physics. No, everything else was pretty good. Like, whatever the ship maneuvered, there were jets of air to add, to, to give it a momentum. They had the whole right, silent um, space shots thing going for them. Yeah, exactly. The silent space shots. Assume, oh, the oh, I loved this. When they went on, when they got into the endurance after uh, man fucked everything up, uh-huh. and they seal it again, and all of a sudden there's noise. Oh, that yeah, was that such was a cool. great touch. Uh, like, oh, there's an atmosphere now. Like, that was the moment I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Good news, guys. I can hear you. That means we're going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. And so that that was the moment, though. As soon as they went over the black holes of Event Horizon, they're like, all right, fuck. Yeah. Like, we had, to be fair, there's no scientific basis on what happens in there. All we have is spaghettification. That's called spaghettification. So what the fuck? <laughs> well, that's the whole freaking point, isn't it? Of the movie... Of black holes in general. Of event horizons. We technically really, like, we have ideas, but we do not know what happens inside of one. Oh, yeah, we're chock full of ideas. What I really don't get is how he ended up back at Saturn. Yeah. Well, okay, I think that comes from the fifth dimensional beings pulling him out of there and putting him there. I guess maybe. I don't know why they didn't just fucking put him with Brand. Uh, because they knew he wanted to go home. I guess they wanted to see his daughter again. Yeah. That's fair, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I, that may mean if they if they literally were meddling in his life that specifically and were like, okay, here's the time. Here are the, all the important moments in your daughter's bedroom. <laughs> to, uh, Weird thing to see. There were some unfortunate potential futures going on in there that he <laughs> managed to successfully avoid. For serious. Um... But that moment, so that moment when he's in this Tesseract and he's like, it's not me, it's her. Like, she's the key. That was such a, like, a sweet moment. He was so proud of her. It was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Like, even though, this movie definitely has these weird moments where it talks about love and it's like, love is a a quantifiable natural resource or whatever. (laughs) Like, it's measurable and observable and therefore it's like, it's physics. Love is physics. Basically, is what they were arguing at some points. But, like, it, it sounds cliche, but I think it is kind of worth thinking about. That there must be... Because they... I mean, it kind okay, of reminds so, me... It actually reminded me a lot of Philo's. Yes, that the connections you make with people are quantifiable. Yeah. They, like, there is a physical reason why connections with some people feel so strong. Uh, by the way, everyone that maybe didn't listen to the episode, Philo's are from the Ender's Game series. They're just a theoretical particle, kind of like string theory. Yeah, and, like, the way it's they the played the personal personal um relationships i don't think comes in until later in the series that we haven't covered yet right oh we haven't yet you're right yeah but th- that's from um, that universe yeah it's from the enderverse yeah um anyway so you're right Cece. that is a weird 
like phylos to have that sort of measurable and they don't matter distance doesn't matter which is the whole basis of phylotic connection yeah and it was sort of the basis of this like Anne Hathaway definitely sounded like a crazy person when she's like my heart's telling me to go to Edmund's planet it's like yeah of course it is <laughs> that doesn't mean it means anything you miss him like, <laughs> you, like yeah. you want to see this guy you love like I, I get that. You don't have Fair. to explain that. Yeah, you don't have to come up with some science mumbo-jumbo about it. You don't have it. to like, techno-babble your way out of this, but you just, you can't. You're not allowed. We're busy. <laughs> yeah, like, he stopped transmitting. Although that it was interesting that, I mean, clearly Edmunds was the better planet. That becomes clear. Um, right. And maybe they would have gone if um coop just hadn't figured out that she was in love with him like if he, if they hadn't known that they could have skipped the whole dr man debacle that's true we should talk about dr man real briefly yes we're we should before long. we run out of time on our podcast yeah we were like this episode won't be that long we always freaking say that what's wrong with us anyway um, i thought he was anyway. a very effective Wait, character cc quick question do you know what a tesseract actually is uh <laughs> it's uh holds a an infinity stone Yep, that's it. How'd you know? <laughs> no, just for anyone that wants to know, it's the four-dimensional analog of a cube. Just as a cube oh, is to a square. Really? It is. I never knew. I know. I didn't know that's what it was. Anyway. <laughs> so, Dr. Man, a very effective character, I thought. Wait, first of all, can we just say, shout out to Matt Damon, always willing to be the guy abandoned on planets. I know. <laughs> it's what a guy. Brand. Matt Left Damon on Mars. will one day die, and he will have his coffin shipped to a desert planet that nobody will ever visit. <laughs> <laughs> this is final. I act. hope Elon Musk sends um, Matt Damon's ashes to Mars because obviously that's a lot. Or like be Venus, because let's be honest, are we ever going to Venus? Nah. I'd like to. Like not on the surface of Venus. Venus is like hellish. Not on the surface, sure. Cloud cities. Do you see cloud cities? Yeah, cloud cities for sure. Star Wars, Honestly, baby. For sure, for sure. Um, okay, yeah. So I thought he was he was v- very well done, for one thing, because he seems, like, really sane and, like, rational. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's Dr. Man. He's this great scientist. Cool, we have another guy on our team. Oh, oh he knows the secrets. Mind. He's here to explain everything. But, like, he does... He, he, he doesn't lose his mind. He reveals his mind. He doesn't, like, flip a switch and become crazy kid. He's just like, okay, uh, I'm really sorry. I have to kill you now. And then he's like, I thought I could stay with you, but I can't. Like, oh, I'm here for you. Like, he tries to comfort him. He's like, no, it's like, it's for the mission. Um, and, like, tries to justify it to Matt Damon, or to um to Coop, as Coop's, like, dying on the ground in front of him. And Matt Damon's like, uh, yeah, ooh, I'm sorry. This sucks. Um, I'm going. Bye. Like, it was, <laughs> it was very much the the man who never, he like, he doesn't, he's not a killer, but he did try to kill Coop. I just, I thought, I think he's so interesting. You know what the creepiest part of that whole thing was? What? He was like, do you see your kids? Do you see your kids, Coop? Yeah, like, oh, they're there for you. Like, yeah, you, survival you, instinct. How does that work? And he was so obsessed with this idea of, like, fighting for survival. Yeah, which makes him sort of an analogy for the whole point of the movie. And he, he like, you can tell he was obsessed with um, Dr. Brand's poem, the rage, rage against the dying of the light. He's like, yeah, I will rage. He's like, I know it's selfish, but... I'm gonna, because I know that plan A is never gonna work. We don't need enough fuel to go back to Earth. So we're just gonna make things work on the next planet. And I will be, like, and I will survive. And that's what matters. Hey, you know what? What? I don't like that Coop went home. 
or tried to go home? Um. See, Dr. Mann <clears throat> lost his mind, for sure. I don't... Uh, uh, yeah, he did. He got, like, really desperate. I, I was not convinced of that, though, until he tried to maroon them. Yeah, he had a good point. Honestly, I forgot he turned on. He tried to maroon them. Yeah, I mean, because um, because with killing Murph or with killing Coop, it was just like, uh, you can't leave, and I don't want to explain this, and I just want everyone to be like, oh crap, your your measurements were wrong. Oh, too bad. Okay, let's move on. Like, <laughs> he wanted it all to smooth over, and that's why he tried to kill Coop. But tried to kill Coop. That's why he disabled his robot friend. Yeah, although I don't know why he booby trapped the robot friend. Yeah, that seemed like a good way to get caught. Yeah, yeah, for serious. Oh, maybe he's like, everyone's looking at this explosion, like, what the fuck happened? And he climbs on the ship and flies away. Maybe that was his plan. Uh, maybe, yeah. Which that kind of did happen. Which, it did happen. That's exactly what happened. Well, I mean, they were doing something else at the time. They were already distracted because he tried to kill Coop. Yes. But, anyway. Um, but what were you going to say? Matt Damon lost I'm, his mind for sure, but you agree with him? But, like... About yeah, the on, mission? Yeah, on one hand, like... Plan A, yeah, if he knew that the equation was Bobkiss, like, that makes sense. Plan B becomes plan A. Yeah. And yeah, it sucks for all the humans on Earth. Absolutely. And if I had a family, I would absolutely fight to go back to them. And I totally get where Koopa's coming from. Absolutely. I also know that the smart money is on bringing the embryos to Edmund's world and trying to establish a colony. Yeah, if you care about the future of humanity with a capital H... Like, you have to do that. That's your only choice. But the problem was, the, the, the problem with Dr. Mann is that he made it, by, by transmitting false data, he made it so that they couldn't make a return home journey. And they had to stay on the planet they were on. Or go to the Absolutely. next planet. And either that way they were on. That, that, was, that was the problem, and that's what he was trying to avoid being revealed. And it wouldn't have been revealed if the whole thing about the equation hadn't been revealed, and if... um. If Coop hadn't been like, I'm going home, and Anne Hathaway's like, yeah, do. Like, this sucks. Sorry. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't blame Coop for leaving. Because as far as he's concerned, he's like, okay, y'all are good. Like, I'll help you get set up. I'm not going to be a jerk about it. But then I'm going home because I'd rather die on Earth than live in this new colony full of strangers. Like, I'd rather die with my family than you know, see this weird lab-grown humanity established on this Iceland planet. I, I forgot to check um, filming locations, but it looks like... Like, that was totally filmed on a glacier, it looks like. Or yeah. a very cool set. It's very beautiful. Yes, absolutely. It reminded me of Iceland. And, yeah, and to be fair to Coop, when he was deciding to go home, as far as he knew... They were good. They were good, yeah. There was a fine surface to go to. That's my point. So I'm like, it's not, it wasn't, there's was anything wrong with him being like, I'm going home. Nobody had said to him, well, if you go home, the mission's ruined. Because I yeah, feel like exactly. if they had, he would have been really pissed, but he probably still would have stayed. Well, I mean, look at what happened. After, yeah, sure, man betrayed them, but like, if the planet was still viable, the planet would be still viable. But it wasn't. And he said, go. Like, he, um, I mean, not only did he dive into the black hole, but even he hadn't, Amelia was still planning on going. Yeah, he, they were still going to go to Edmund's planet. World. Yeah. His plan was still to sacrifice his happiness, seeing his family <laughs> right. again, to save humanity, capital H. Right. And I think that there's a common theme in a lot of sci-fi when humanity is at risk and, you know, the world is ending and all that, uh, the species is going to extinct, that... The idea is that you have to sacrifice humanity to save humanity. 
And that comes up so many times in a lot of the sci-fi we cover. Yeah. I mean, the one that comes to mind immediately is the Babaverse, because that's a similar setup. Like, you have a choking Earth. Like, Earth is, over the course of the next couple decades, becoming uninhabitable. And you have to watch mm. it happen, and you know you can't get everyone off fast enough. Right, exactly. And, you know, in, in Bob's case, he literally sacrificed humanity, his humanity. Not for this exact purpose, but eventually his sacrificing his humanity led, led to, to his saving humanity. Salvation of humanity, yes. Right, but it, it's a similar thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we actually haven't covered a lot of, like, humanities on the custom of dying, save humanity, sci-fi. Uh... It's this in Bobaverse. I can't think of another one. Uh, the Children of Time. Children of Time, good catch. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah that's true. We could we could add some more. Ki- kind of, um, the Collapsing Empire, sort of. A little bit. Doesn't have that sacrificing humanity, but Children of Time does. I mean, like, in a way, they sacrificed what humanity thought was intelligence and the idea. Like, they sacrificed a lot of, of mindsets in, in things like that to save the species. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there's an argument. But I think you're right. Anyway. I think that's a theme. Um, well, because you know, when it comes to that, when it comes to drastic measures, humanity doesn't believe in... Like, the average human doesn't believe in sacrificing all to to be... Like, sacrificing every ounce of yourself to save a greater cause. It doesn't believe... It also doesn't see things as species. It sees things as individuals. Yeah, family. And, and, and Dr. Man even says something about that. He's like, it's really... Like, the problem is... Making a person care about humanity, capital H, enough to work with other people. Like, having that sort of massive cooperation effort to save the idea of humanity and not you and the people that you love and the people that you know. And, like, I I mean, I'm sitting right here and I'm kind of like, I would like if humanity persevered. I don't know that I feel it. If it's a choice between humanity and my family... I care more than my family perseveres. <laughs> I don't think that's uncommon. No, I think what's most uncommon is someone that's, like, aware enough to say it. Yeah, maybe. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm selfish like that. I think we all are. Very few mm, people absolutely. aren't. And that's sort of, again, a problem with what Dr. Brand did. Like, why did Dr. Brand recruit somebody through direct manipulation of his desire to help his children? Knowing... That it would eventually be revealed that his his whole thing was a fraud. Why did he recruit Cooper, knowing that his thing was a fraud, and take him... That makes him outright cruel. Like, he knows his equation doesn't work. But he was literally like, you love your Leave children, your family. go out there and save them. Yeah. That's actually extremely cruel. It's, Why didn't it's he kind send of villainous. Pilot? It really is. Dr. Brand's the villain. <laughs> the Take problem care. solved. Doctor Man, you're off the hook. Yeah, good. Congrats, Brand. Well, I'm <laughs> not Brand and Man working together. Hook. Man knew, so Man and Brand they worked together. It's not Man's fault. I mean, Man did also like lead those twelve astronauts to their deaths, but like, but but at least with them, it was like no attachments. Everyone knows that they might die. Blah blah blah. And I think eyes wide open, sort of thing. Yeah, and McConaughey knew he might die, but he thought he would die saving the lives of his children. He was told he would die saving the lives of his children. And later to find out that that's not true is pretty earthrending. After, you know. Interesting choice of words. It, <laughs> that's true. Good point. Okay. 
do we have any other major topics? Um, let me see. I don't know. It's just, it's a really good movie. Like, it has flaws, but it's extremely good. I like it's it extremely very, good. very much. There, there is some great physics in it. There are some, like, the, the science, like, like I said, before you get to inside the black hole, it's solid. Yeah. but and then, Like, it's pretty good. And then, like, within the black hole, like we said, we don't really know. So you're not technically going against anything. You're just sort of no, no, no. taking a lot of creative license. Yeah. Although I will say, him being able to manipulate things way in the past. And also, okay, so I, I think he, he was manipulating. He saw the past. He manipulated that. Okay, sure. That's bad. But <laughs> I will say that him doing it in the present had some it had some credence because my theory is gravitational waves which can travel faster than the speed of light they can transfer information faster than the speed of light Hmm. so him being able to but make gravitationally based changes over a massive distance that there is a basis for that the distance, yeah, but the backwards in time thing. The backwards in time is a little hard to 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 justify. Kind of justify, yeah. To kind and of, they kind of I'm tried to, to with word, Amelia Brand and her being like, maybe to these beings, the past is a valley and the future is a mountain, and they can traverse them at will. Right. Exactly. We were talking about how adding another dimension allows travel through time, and right. just as adding time allows travel through space. Right. And you're right. There is something to that. And, and obviously there's some fifth dimensional beings, mumbo jumbo. Yada, yada. Um, yada, et cetera, et cetera. And this is now explained right. going on there. Right. Uh, a little bit like how they use quantum to just say this it's is quantum. a thing. It's quantum. Like the quantum data. It's just quantum. It's quantum data. Why don't they just say data? Data would be fine. Why is <laughs> you that don't have quantum? to say quantum. They just want to make it sound better. Christopher Nolan was like, let's make it sound quantum. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Um, so yes, there's that. I also wanted to add, um, you and I talked about real briefly before this, but I had an interaction. I, I, we both watched this with our significant others Mm -hmm. and, uh, you, and I I think actually had basically the same interaction (laughs) with them. (laughs) So in the end of the movie, Cooper, we didn't even talk about this at all, but he wakes up on the space station orbiting Saturn. You all know this. Um, space is like, everyone lives in space now. Everything's great. But... They all live in O'Neill cylinders. Yes. And we, I, I mean, for me, that scene happened, and they, there's the baseball scene. They hit The baseball goes up, hits the house. By the way, real small O'Neill cylinder. That's a shitty design. But I anyway. know. I said the same thing. I was like, that's not nearly big enough. All right. No, fa- in fairness, it not being big enough is based on an idea that it, they cannot manipulate gravity. I, I guess so that's true. Maybe they're manipulating gravity. To but that doesn't need to be cylindrical. Cheese. Well, cylindrical is still the, a great pressure shape. Oh, okay, I guess that's true. It's not a perfect one, but it's a, it's a pretty good pressure shape. Okay. But anyway, um, <laughs> but Maria goes, wait, what's that? Like, why is it like that? I go, and I just go, oh, it's an O'Neill cylinder. <laughs> and don't explain. <laughs> it's an O'Neill cylinder, duh. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, for me, Albert missed, Albert missed the point where they were like, 
explaining the the problem and he's like wait what exactly are they trying to do i'm like they're trying to make an o'neill cylinder and like lift it off from space and like the problem is the gravity well blah 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 and then i'm like hang on do you know what an o'neill cylinder is and he's like no <laughs> obviously not i guess this is a side effect of having a sci-fi podcast yeah this you, is our fault you start to assume that people know what o'neill cylinders are <laughs> which is totally on us <laughs> Um, I mean, Abba definitely understands but, the concept of it because he has played Mass Effect. <laughs> so we've seen him before. He just doesn't know the name. So, yeah. Um, if you don't know what O'Neill Cylinder is, Wikipedia's your friend, or better yet, listen to our Rendezvous with Rayma oh, on our, on our so episodes. I'm going to have to reread that. Or read it. Excellent book. Uh, yeah, anyway. Read it and listen to our episode. Win-win. Both. Def- definitely do go ahead and download our episode, though. Just make sure you do. That's really important. <laughs> For sure. Um, just as an interesting aside, there, so the way they animated the black hole had some, sidebar, had to to do with, um, they, they took, uh, the equations that sort of characterized black holes and gave them to software engineers and the software engineers like rendered this image. So it's supposed to be like a fairly accurate representation of what we would think a black hole would look like. There are some ways that they edit it for it to look better on film, but you can actually see the more accurate version of it pretty easily if you Google it. But um, that sort of process led to the technical consult. um, What was his name? Kip Thorne, Dr. Kip Mm -hmm. Thorne to publish three, three academic papers in like legit journals about um, like rendering black holes and what they look like and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Interesting. I actually forgot that. Yeah. This actually, this did lead to some developments, and I, I, there was a little bit more in there. Um, it it kind of went on to, like, there being a little bit of understanding of black holes after this, because, like, we were like, oh, shit, these equations, like, have a real merit. Yeah, I mean, Kip Thorne kind of underplayed it. He's like, well, I mean, like, we didn't, you know, completely revolutionize, like, the way black holes are represented or anything. But he's like, but there were some interesting, like, little mysteries that we uncovered through the, this sort of exercise that um, led to some, some and- sort of new lines of inquiry. So that was really and maybe cool. in the future we can, um, you know, maybe we can do this in other spectrums that we can actually see with telescopes. Uh, I mean, visual spectrum we can see telescopes, obviously, but all the <laughs> best telescopes are not visual spectrum. True. Um, and maybe we can get little, like, if we can have an idea of what they're supposed to emit and what they're supposed to look like according to the equations, then maybe we'll have a better chance of discovering one. Exactly. So being able to render this is extremely valuable, not just for its cosmetic value, but for its uh, scientific research and exploration value. But can I tell you, um, very good cosmetic value. Oh, excellent cosmetic value. Holy shit. They <laughs> nailed that accretion. That accretion disc looks amazing. It looks really cool. <laughs> oh, man. Um, anyway. Let's wrap up, Peter. It's, let's wrap this up, This is a Cece. really long episode. Oh, uh, yeah. Two in a row. They got two Mondo episodes. Y'all are welcome. <laughs> See All you right, guys, in two weeks are, for our four-minute right. episode. Everyone ready for our fastest closing yet? Because we really need to work on that. <laughs> if you guys okay. want to contact us, email us at signify. Wait, sci-fi sidebar. At, nope, signify nothing nope, network. Signify nothing network at gmail.com. Crap, this is not fast. Or facebook.com slash sci-fi sidebar. Or, or facebook.com slash signify nothing network. There it is. Um, uh, you can find us online. Our sci-fi sidebar page, uh, kind of run through our host, is. Oh my god. Uh sci-fi dash sidebar <laughs> dot pinecast dot co. So you can find us there. Um we have some stuff there. And uh just real quick, if you scroll down the bottom of the page, you can see some links. There's an audible, there's a trial membership that gives you two free audiobooks instead of one. That's 30 days. We get a little money from that, and you don't have to spend anything. 
Uh, so we'd really we appreciate that if you are interested and want to uh, you know go through some of our media using that. There's also a referral code for Pinecast. If you're thinking about doing a paid host, if you want to be a podcaster and you want to switch to a paid host that has a, a really good plan, I suggest you looking it up. I was surprised when I found it. Uh, you can use our referral code to get 40% off your first two months, and that they do kick a little money our way, so you will help support the show and get yourself something you're already looking for. If you're interested in supporting the show in general and you're not interested in Audible or Pinecast, uh, we would love it if you would rate, review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Share with your friends, because that's pretty much the only way we grow, so... If you could share with your friends, we would be really appreciative of that. Speaking of sharing and, uh, you know, kind of listening to us, guys, uh, so we switched to Pinecast a month ago tomorrow, and they have a little bit better analytics than what we had on our old site because that was a little, um, I want to say patchwork. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, we have over 1,000 listens uh, the, in the last month. Uh, so, you know, kind of in a year of doing it, we got to 2,000. Uh, so that really... Um, that kind of shows you guys are really supporting us, and we really appreciate it a lot. We really do. Every download, we're like, oh, my God, somebody wants to it's listen to us. It's kind of heartening. <laughs> you know, we, I always look at it, and I don't even think about, like, eventually we could, you know, think about, like, having an advertiser to help cover our costs, which are not insignificant for the show. Right. Um, I, re- I really see that as someone else is like, oh, hi. Hello, friend. Thanks. New friend. Thanks for visiting. No, we really yeah. appreciate it. And, um, yeah. It's awesome. So please continue to share. Give, our next give us topic that, in- all those happy moments in our day. <laughs> Yeah, a little happy. I, I sign on to it every once in a while. I take a look at our, our stats. I do it like three times a day, TDH. I, I do it at least once a day. <laughs> so our next book is going to be, we announced in our our bonus episode, but we're going to do Golden Sun by Pierce Brown, the second book in the Red Rising trilogy. Uh, yes, that's going to be on January 28th, uh, 2019. Let's go. So we'll talk to you guys then. I think that's it, right, Peter? Wait, no, no, Cece, I have a list and you let me, let me follow oh, it. Oh, sorry. Okay, so <laughs> we are back doing the universe in you. An episode is going to go up later today, uh, with the de- today being the release day. Uh, so it'll be up later on uh, the 14th of January. And that topic is going to be uh, me presenting on it. It's going to be Lifetimes of Stars and kind of where what's going on inside of them. I love fusion, so get ready. That's what we're talking about. Also, if this movie piqued your interest about wormholes, didn't you just do an episode on wormholes, Peter? Oh, I did an episode like a couple weeks ago on wormholes. Yeah, actually, I think I might have referenced this movie i definitely talked about why wormholes are spheres yes so if you didn't get quite enough of of an explanation from there uh you can go to my episode on wormholes and i'd really appreciate that i thought it was pretty good it was good um it's pretty popular actually that's one of the most popular ones right now (laughs) well who's not curious Um, about wormholes that's true anyway so yes uh that is the universe in you and i co-host that with my friend billy okay i think that wraps us up yes all right sounds good thank you guys so much for listening we uh always enjoy talking to you yes we do All right, and uh, (laughs) yeah, cool. Hope you had a good holiday, good New Year, all that. Yes, definitely. Without further ado, this has been Sci Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told by idiots. Bye, guys. Guys, have a good one. Talk to you in a few weeks.